Tar Project, episode nine. Today we have one of our Vayner RSC founders that we've invested in, Mark Barros of Moment. Previously, Mark founded a company called Contour Camera, which you may or may not remember. You definitely know or have heard of his main competitor, the number one, GoPro. He developed an action sports camera with a couple co-founders in college and learned a ton on his journey of building that company, which he has, I'd say, he's successfully applying what to do and what not to do with the blueprint of Contour. And he's one of the more thoughtful founders that I've encountered. I always enjoy catching up with him. You'll get a few insights into how he approaches new ideas and new concepts for businesses, which I felt was super valuable. It's an interesting framework and makes a lot of sense how you'll take more of a thematic approach rather than solving one specific problem, because if that one problem ultimately isn't the right thesis, you're kind of up a creek without a paddle. Very unique take there. Also, he gives a lot of great advice on hiring and team building and things that have been successful for him at moment and his team, which I find massively interesting and, and likely helpful uh, as just a different perspective as you approach your business or look at other businesses that you may or may not be involved in or your friends are involved in. Maybe you can give them a tidbit of advice. Always credit Mark, of course, please. And before we jump into the episode, I just want to thank you again for coming back, for listening. I genuinely really, really, really appreciate it. I'm not sure if that came through, but I, I wouldn't be putting these out if I wasn't getting such good feedback. Well, maybe that's not necessarily true, but the feedback really helps, positive, negative. So thank you so much. Tell your friends about the Tartar Project. Tag me on Instagram, Tartar Project, Phil Toronto. Get it out there. I really appreciate it. Five stars on iTunes. Follow me on Spotify. You know the gig. But without further ado, let's jump into the episode with Mark and hear all about Moment. We are back. Thank you for tuning in. Once again, I am forever grateful. Today, we have Mark Barros. Barros or Barros? Friends is a kid called me Barros, but Barros is the right way to say it. Barros. Okay, cool. So we have Mark Barros, founder of Moment Lens. Uh, founder which, of Moment. <laughs> founder of Moment. That's right. <laughs> we were early investors through Vayner RSC when it was Moment Lens, and now they have rebranded into a... Uh, I'll actually, I'll let Mark tell the story because I'm not going to explain his company <laughs> for him. Um, but it's just a company we've been really excited about. I met Mark probably five or six years ago with a mutual friend, MLO, uh, in Portland, Oregon at Samurai Blue, enjoying I forgot delicious about that story. Sushi. That is old school. MLO totally says forgot. what's up as well. I texted him a, a photo when you were here recording that with is, Gary. I forgot about that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's just where we first met kept in contact. You hit me up when you were about to start yep. your thing at moment and brought you in. And here we are today. That is, a, that is a random path. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I'd never, I have a weird memory. It's the cool. odd thing. But, um, first things third, first, where'd you grow up? From Seattle. Originally born Originally from Seattle. Yeah. Um, son of an immigrant. So dad came from Brazil, mid twenties, working in Brazil is hard as far as like having a job and being successful. So he just said, Bucket, took all of his money and just moved to Seattle, did a homestay, met my mom at the University of Washington, and then he stayed. So uh, born and raised in Seattle. That's awesome. He lives there to this day. 
Dad's still there, yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. And growing up, were you good at school? Did you like school? Was it an option to not like school? Yeah, my mom, yeah, she basically made us do our homework. So there was only one path, and that was to be good at school. School wasn't that hard for me, so I, yeah, I would get good grades. Not quite 4.0, but yeah, get A's on everything. Perfect. If I didn't, I wasn't going to play soccer, so they used that. I just right. loved to play soccer, so I was like, you want to play soccer? You will get good grades. Yeah, I'll get it over with. Yes. <laughs> Put my time in. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And then growing up, did you did you have lemonade stands? Did you do anything entrepreneurial? Like what, what kind of a I don't think I realized bug. that I was doing that. But basically, I played a lot of soccer, and I was always trying to convince everybody to let me play more soccer. So like in high school, I convinced my senior or my principal to say, hey, I'm training for like the U.S. national team. Let me have first period off. And they gave me first period off, which was amazing. <laughs> yeah, a little negotiation. It's, yeah, instead of like you're open, where they always had like a class, it was kind of random. But it was hard to wake up at six and like go outside and play. So that lasted a trimester. So my parents took that away. Right. Like you're just sleeping in. You're <laughs> yeah. going back. We know how this plays out. Yeah. Yeah. But in the along the way, my parents may work a bit. And so I just used soccer. And so I started refereeing because that was easy. You could make 40 bucks a game. I was, t- I was small, the high school kid, right? So yeah. imagine 11. I was, actually, I started refereeing. I was like 13, 12. 12 year coming out to ref 15, 16 year olds. Like who is the pipsqueak yeah. out? But I just kept at it because you could make 40 bucks a game and you could stack three games. My parents would drop me off. And so that was the beginning of, it's like contractor life where you set your kind of hours, you figure out what you're going to work during the weekend or evenings, like a Tuesday night, you could do like men's league. Again, now I'm in high school, but still 40 year olds. And here comes the 15, 16 year old. Par- I couldn't even drive you. My parents right. would drop me off, <laughs> but that was just enough money to make some, to make a little bit. And then what I figured out was I started soccer camps. And so when you had spring break or summer camp, your friends are out screwing around. I yeah. figured out I could do a kid's summer camp half day, you know, was it five to seven year olds, half day in the morning, half day in the afternoon. Yeah. You can make a couple grand in a week that you started. They yeah, were your they camps. Were my soccer camps. That's Cause awesome. I did well enough in soccer. My, my friend and I, you could put it on the brochure that we were going to be college soccer players or, you know, very good youth players. And so we made those soccer camps. That's awesome. And that was the beginning. I didn't really realize it was more like solve a problem of like, you need to make some money. Yeah. As and much I'm not going to go possible. work a restaurant yeah. or like doing the, you know, being a busboy just wasn't going to happen. So I found a way to make more money in a short amount of period for minimal effort. Yeah. But yeah, back then there was no like email or anything. So I remember like making the brochures by hand. We printed them. Right. We strategically placing them. The schools. That was the winner is like take them to schools and hand them out. And so that the parents would get them. Yeah. Not works, but yeah, you were hand people would hand mail you in a check and the brochure. It was like this yellow brochure, it was terrible, two coloring black with yellow. (laughs) And you'd wait for these envelopes to come in the mail, and you wouldn't know if anyone's gonna send one in. Accounts payable, and they would send one in with a check. You're like, okay, I can't believe you did that. (laughs) That was the beginning, didn't realize it, but that was definitely the beginning. That's awesome. And then when you went to college, did you have the intention of just playing? Yeah, I played college college soccer, so like. University of Washington, cool. like a division one program. Yeah. And again, I was still doing the soccer camps. Except at this point it was illegal because I didn't know that once you're a coll- collegiate athlete, you're not allowed to quote market your name. It's like all discussion now, right? Around right. Yeah. All the athletes, how much you pay. But imagine one of those guys made a quarterback's camp. They'd make it killing. Yeah. But I was just on the soccer team and they probably didn't care. So we just kept doing it anyways. So now <laughs> we could charge more because now you could say division one soccer player. And so we do that in the summer. Highly qualified. Just not tell the coaches. Right. Because who's going to stumble across a flyer? Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, the other players on the team were like, wait, how wait, how, how do we get involved in this? <laughs> so funny. we'd have a few of the players come through and cut coach. them in. Yeah. There's like four of us we had going. Expanded out. That's awesome. And then 
What did you go to school for? I have no idea. I think I went to school for accounting. <laughs> but this was my mom's thing. She was smart. She was a woman who worked at IBM doing sales. This was like the mid 80s. There weren't women in IBM doing sales. So right. she clearly knew. It's probably why she was stressed out all the time. I didn't, again, I wasn't an adult yet, so I didn't realize that. But yeah, she was she was pretty smart on being like, biotech's a thing, because she's in the computer industry and you're seeing who's using computers. So she's like, you should do a combo of some finance degree, accounting, and then try to study science. So I was trying to be a college athlete and get a minor in science and accounting. And after, the, fuck the minor in science, there's just no right. way. I ended up in accounting. And then just by luck, there's a, UW has an entrepreneurship program where you make a business plan. This is old school. Yeah. They still have it where you make a business plan. I'm Whoa. like, guys, can we get rid of the business plan? And With a binder and everything? Yeah. <laughs> but I just entered. It's like a roommate. It's like, hey, we do this business plan. You can enter. He was a motorcycle rider. Wanted to put cameras and screens on bikes for safety. And I just entered. I joined the little team. We got third place. At the same time, I was doing my quote accounting internship. Mm -hmm. And when you do one, they put you in a room for a week. And you basically count receipts. I looked around and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> this can't be my life. This is what's going to. I was like, fuck. They have a burgeoning soccer camp they pretty empire. much tried to fire me. I got talked to a few times about, you want to do this? Are you sure? <laughs> You're outside in the hallway passionate. trying to start a company. What? So, yeah, we were trying to start this little company and doing the internship. We had no money. So, it'd be in the hallway at break or whatever, right? Yeah. And so, uh, the accounting didn't work out. I tried to enter. They have a master's program. We do a fifth year. I got in two weeks and I <laughs> just couldn't do it anymore. My mom was very disappointed, but yeah, that's fair. But probably better life path now. So yeah, she's like, "What are you gonna do?" Yeah, we make these cameras and the motorcycles and have a garage. And yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. We know what we're doing. Her, when you when you placed third, was there any grant money or yeah, they gave like twenty price? grand? Oh wow, yeah, that's, that's a considerable yeah. start. Turns college. out the guy we worked with we didn't like. There's like there was five of us. By the end of the summer, there was three of us and then there's three of us left yeah we tried it for like nine months but two of us hated the other one because he started but he had a full-time job so two of us were doing all the work living in one rented house that was a piece of shit yeah not making any money trying to make these cameras and motorcycles so finally two of us left and carrying somebody that's not doing anything he's not doing anything yeah. he's taking we like, typical Wait. group project dynamics yeah, exactly yeah. carried on right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so two of us left and that's how we started what would become contour so that's two awesome. of us left and started that what well, at the time was a camera to record skiing and that, that kept going. Amazing. And then when you when you first started it, uh, what what year was that? What was the first year of business? Four. And it was pretty. It was early. Yeah, two thousand four was early. Everything. There was no YouTube, no iPhones, no none of this shit existed. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, you would make a product. At the time we we're making a camera. There was not even a camcorder. You would have to carry a camcorder. We made a lens that plug into a camcorder. Like that's how janky this was. And we would sell this lens for like three hundred dollars. Yeah. And we would take it to like motorcycle shops and outdoor action sport retail and sell them. Door to door. Yeah, I'd sit there on the weekend and sell them. My uh, partner Jason, he was making them by hand at this point. Wow. Yeah, because you just buy the cables, a little battery pack. Yeah. And then we were we made enough of them. We could start getting someone to make like the wiring harness for us. And we got a little bit more. So yeah, over like two years, we slowly pieced together. It was like a $400,000 business. Wow. And did you bootstrap that from the get-go? Oh, or yeah, there was no... Of course. Once we got to 700,000, we somehow met in Seattle some people that had been successful in startups. They had built like WatchGuard. And there we were able to finally raise a couple million bucks. And that's when it really started. That was probably four years, three years in, four years in. Four years in. It's like 2008. 2007, 2008. Yeah. And then how did 2008 impact your business? <laughs> 2008 was at shitty. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, we were 
19 people and then the economy hit Mm -hmm. and we were about a $2 million business. And then I had to cut the team from 19 to 12. And it hurts. I was nervous. I was so nervous. I didn't know what to do. I was like 27, 28. Yeah. I never had another job before, let alone have been fired or fire people. I did not know how to do that, but just super nervous and just said, why this isn't going to work and why we have to let part of the team go. Yeah. I kept the 12. The basic 12 was to make the product or sell the product. It's pretty much what we kept and service the customer, but everything else got cut. Like we were doing early content stuff. All that stuff got cut. Yeah. Um, Bare minimum to survive. Bare minimum to survive. But it worked. I mean, it was stressful because we had we couldn't pay people enough. In a sense, we couldn't pay our bills. So every week, I was talking to everybody we owed money to. Okay, we'll send two hundred bucks this week. Yeah. Okay, we'll send. And they were getting pissed because maybe we owed someone twenty thousand dollars for buying of the products, right, or whatever. And you're chipping away two hundred dollars at a time. And we kept going, but man, that was so painful. The worst is when the IRS came. They came knocking on the door. It's like a Friday. It's like a Friday morning, and it's like eight in the morning, and all you hear is. This, Literally knocking at the door. Yeah, I'm like, who the fuck? And it's two ladies, and they're in this, like, I mean, it's like men in black, but, like, two women that aren't smiling. Like, we're from the IRS, not smiling. I'm just looking at them going, oh, fuck. (laughs) I don't even know what we did, right? And so I take them over to the conference room, and there's still no jokes are working at this point, right? And I'm still, like, it's 8 in the morning. What is I'm, you know, messaging or texting. Anyone that's, like, a, you know, the little small leadership team I had, they're like, the IRS is there? No, I'm not coming in. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait what do you mean what you're not coming in? <laughs> Finally, the finance guy came in or he talked to me. And what we were doing is we weren't paying the payroll taxes. What happens if you don't have money? We had enough money to pay the payroll. But we weren't submitting the tax part. Mm. I didn't know what that meant. Right. But when the economy crashed, guess what the government needs? More money. So yep. what are they come looking for? The payroll tax. And so we hadn't been paying it for a couple of quarters because we were just continuing to like, we basically had this in 2008, this new product coming out. It was going to be the first HD action camera. That was the first ever. It, was, it turned out to get us through. It took us like six months though, or nine months to get through manufacturing and everything was on the line, right? So the vendor was funding us. Yeah. Like we were having to pay people, but not paying the payroll tax. They did not like that. Yeah, I can and they that. They are aggressive. IRS will always get what is theirs. They don't give a shit. No. They do not give a shit. Did the jokes eventually land with them? They did or? not. There was no smiling in that <laughs> meeting. <laughs> I still remember that conference room and the low ceilings and the terrible light and yeah. these two women, just nothing worse. Trying to go back and forth like, maybe this, no. And okay. you end up, you basically end up writing letters to get out of it in the sense like, give us more time, we'll get there. Let us like, the, over time they let us pay. I think the woman got a raise after work because we're the only people she went to and actually got the payroll tax right. eventually, right? <laughs> Took us like a, a year yeah. to pay it all and pay the penalties. But yeah, I think she got a raise because we're the only ones that actually right. ends actually up paying fulfilled. out of 2008, right? That's my, that's that's fascinating. That's stressful. So saying the first action sports 2008 HD was the first, yeah, so today basically, uh, that company Contour competed with GoPro almost side side by side. We were skiers. He was a surfer. It was my first company. He was a second. But yeah, it was a similar. We believe in recording what you're doing and recording action. And we were always really good at the products. We're usually a year in front of them on like everything. And so we were the first to do HD. And that really took the company. It went from like overnight from like 2 million to 7 million. Wow. Just with that feature that and people wanting that. And finally, it was like an all enclosed camera. So you know, you know, longer had the cables and everything else. But yeah, two to seven in 2009 was a huge jump for us. Yeah. So we went back Especially from the coming 12, off the pain of 2008. Yeah, 12, went back from 12 to like 20 people. But yeah, that was a big step. 
That's great. And then 2009, you're humming along, got the HD camera to market. GoPro probably answers 2010 around that. And then what What were you... I can't remember all the years now. Yeah. I it, think it's, it's like probably, 2010. What ends up happening at some point is we get to like 15 million in revenue and we finally raised some outside capital. So we got two to seven to 15. And the team was small, so the business looked really good. It's like, whoa, you have some profits. Yeah. And then we found the investors. <laughs> Turns out these aren't the best investors. You know, if you were to say there's like grade A to grade F, somehow we probably ended up in the D minus F plus group. That makes it very difficult. I I didn't know, right? Because your first time around, what you find in the finance world is a lot of people that, let's say, pray, but they find smaller companies that they can put shitty terms on. And so, yeah, we took this five million bucks and I didn't understand how to use it. I didn't understand all the mechanics of like being a CEO and how you spend that money. Um, And at the same time, a few months later, GoPro is like 80 million bucks. And so it was like, that's terrifying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But we didn't understand how to like stop, change that strategy. What does it mean? And so over time, we basically kept growing the company. So we kept trying to hire more people. And so we, we were still growing. So we went from 15 to like 25 million. But the problem is we kept needing more money because we were selling back then. You're selling everything through the retailers. There mm-hmm. was no dot com direct. And therefore, you're dramatically stretched. So selling to Amazon paid you 90 days later. So we kept needing more money. So we eventually have to piece together from five to like about 12 million was raised. And by then it was just like, there was no path. Right. Basically what's happening is you have like a winner in a market and losers like Uber Lyft. The Lyft was smart as they raised a truckload of money. So what it turns out is called law of diminishing returns, which is just that number one gets all the advantages in everything. And number two takes two to three times amount of money just to get the same return. And so at the end of the day, we needed way more money or we had to cut the team in half and just be profitable. And by the time I figured out what I was doing and how to do that, my voice had run out. So when you go to a board at, I think it's 2012, you're like, all right, we got 50 people. The path here is left or right. Yeah. But I'm still the youngest guy in the room. So they're like, no, fuck you. Right. <laughs> and you got fired. Yeah, because they they didn't know what they're doing either, but they assumed that there's a Pepsi and a Coke. It turns out nobody wants to fund Pepsi. If Pepsi's Oddly profitable enough, on yeah. its own, nobody wants to fund Pepsi. So everybody was, was going to fund Coke. And GoPro couldn't get funded either until they got to about 60 million of revenue and 20% on the bottom line. People went, OMG, this is huge. Yeah, this space. is a real thing. Yeah, it was big. It was way bigger than people realized. Everybody thought, well, this is action camera. It's kind of a niche. Most investors aren't really into outdoor action, so they, they didn't understand it. But yeah, once GoPro got to scale, they could then raise money and keep going. But by then, we did we had too high a cost. Yeah. And, so, and it's, yeah. it's also difficult to begin with being a hardware business. Well, that's what you say when you're not in one, but once you're in Fair. one, <laughs> it's more complex because you have to imagine an object and then make that object versus the software usually is running on top of someone's platform. And so you can focus a little bit. So it's harder because you have more problems you got to worry about. More uh, expensive problems too. More expensive problems. You've got those problems tooling wrong. Tooling and everything. Yeah, but I was a, that's my one. never had a job trying to build a team of 50, no leadership philosophy. It's like a disaster. Still growing to 25 million in revenue. They should have so fired me earlier, really. But right. <laughs> yeah, I was running like a founder. There's like a difference between a founder and a CEO, and I was running like a founder. But none of them around the table actually knew how to do it either. Right. And so. The blind leading the blind. It's a blind leading the blind. And so they took the less experienced guy and fired him. And then nine months later, the, the smart guys all bankrupted it. So it's like, huh. Well, maybe I wasn't amazing. the dumbest guy. <laughs> <laughs> but you get, but it ends up having getting super leveraged. So you, the terms just get shittier. Yep. So you started on our board, we had basically two sets of investors. They really didn't like each other. They weren't getting along, but one wouldn't put any more money in until like 
stuff was really bad. He would try to change all the terms. So eventually, yeah, we ran out of money where we had a, we also had a partner. It's like, oh yeah, I'll fund the inventory growth and your manufacturing side. And they, they pulled the plug in the last minute because we're supposed to go into Best Buy and they pulled this basically, oh yeah, we'll give you the money so you can make enough product. And then last minute they pulled it. So that's what was the, and that's devastating. Yeah. The, that was the card that toppled it all. Cause then they were like, okay, fuck you for this money. We're changing all of this. Mark's gone and we'll restructure it. But even in that, they were just, they ended up bankrupting anyway. Yep. Is what it is. Yeah. And then when, so were you, were you burnt out? What, what, where were you mentally in that time? Like, did you, did you accept be like, you know what? I, kind of deserve this to a certain extent did four years later that's easy to say no right. i mean yeah, it's like course. it's like getting your heart crushed right so you first time you get your heart crushed by somebody it's very painful mm-hmm. you cry a bit you're not really sure what's going on and you're like oh okay this is how you fall in love and so it gets easier Replay to say. 27 different events 37 different ways exactly what i showed me the most to be honest was writing i didn't really realize that but just nothing to do all day. There was no email. Like they didn't just like get rid of me. They get rid of me and said, don't ever fucking come back. You're right. in the build. Like I had done something wrong. People were like, what did you, what did he actually do? Did, yeah. There's some like sexual misconduct. Like what's going on? Yeah. And there was not. They to basically, confirm, there was not. Yeah. They basically just booted me and was gone. And so there was no email or phone call. So you go from running some 50 people and like real revenue and all of a sudden you're at home tomorrow. Right. And no one called. Yep. No, nothing. And so I was sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> Saw a pen, <laughs> started yeah, writing. I was a keyboard at that point. But yeah, I just started typing stuff. Uh, a friend of mine, she's a writer, but she was just helping as far as like, yeah, just put it down. Just put down all the characters. And she was giving me advice to like think through and write down all the characters of what happened, which helped a lot. I just started writing stuff. Most of it will never get out. But yeah, of course. I found that I was just angry. It helps It helps file it in your own mind as well, almost a timeline of sorts. And That part, a little bit, was actually more just get the emotions out and get the anger out. And yeah, by writing, you kind of relive those pieces. A lot of it you just had to like, I guess, deal with through the words. And face it head on. Yeah, that and meditation. The meditation helped too. Had you been meditating before? No, I never heard of it. Sense. And then I found like the anger meditation ones and it <laughs> has you focus on your heart and get it out. And I was like, <gasps> I, was like <laughs> <laughs> I ended up screaming. It's it weird. Those two things helped a lot. That's huge. That's really huge. And then did you do any sort of circuit where you tried to meet with world potential tour. mentors yeah like a no. world tour of oh, how to get traveled. better and everything interesting yeah it's been interesting her and i because i met her in 2008 at the end of that economic crisis which is the same year i lost my mom so that year was pretty bad so i met her at the bottom we get married in 2012 a month later i'm fired and so you're like surprise right. yeah <laughs> it's, it's a honeymoon <laughs> But yeah, we had like a timeline of like, all right, you get like nine months to figure this out or think about it. I find sometimes it does take time. I think people miss that is you're starting over. Other people just think I get a job, you'll get another job. Okay, I got to maybe wait to find a job. It's very different when you have to literally start over because it takes years to get everything back to where you were, right? So where yeah. I was, the end of concert has taken me five years to get back to with the next company. Five years is a long time. It's a really long time. That. And so it does take you time to like disconnect reground yourself, figure out what is it you like now, because what you like now may be different than when you started. I see a lot of friends that like doesn't work out and they go straight into the next company. You're just like, that's a train wreck. Yeah. It's similar to a romantic relationship. <laughs> it's usually recipe for disaster Same when you thing. run right into another thing immediately. I mean, sure, it's successful sometimes, but the, the rebound company is not always the answer. Tough. And so you took your nine months and just traveled a bunch. Yeah. Hung out. What was your favorite destination 
We did three months in Italy. That was pretty amazing. Like awesome. a month in Tuscany. Oh, unbelievable. That's great. Rent a car, stay in crappy places. Turns out in Tuscany, because it was like uh, early spring, so it was pretty cold still. They charge you the oil and gas when you stay places. It's not cheap. Right. And so my wife and I figured out they had fireplaces. So we'd drive around and get pallets of wood and put them in the back of the rental car and then just burn them. That was the fire at night. That worked great. But yeah, every time we see a pallet of wood now or like a pallet or like. Just a little head nod, like, yeah, you know, we were scrappy. That was the best. So Tuscany is unbelievable. One of my close friends is getting married in Tuscany in the summer, Mm -hmm. and I can't wait. It's going to be my first time going. Just sit there and just look at the hills, and you can see how old everything is. Just the history there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Just takes you to a different place. Yeah, so you just travel, right, and just try to go back to, like, what is it you like to do? Mentally refresh. Yeah, and for me, you just start with those kind of notes. Like, what is it you like? Do you like food? Do you like cooking do you like solving problems do you like helping people and that's usually where the ideas start you just start with those core things you like now i have some tools that help me think through those um but in the beginning yeah you, you want to find an area of, that you're interested in and then inside of that you find problems to solve a lot of people will start with i need an idea or start with the idea it's yeah what's my ideas, thing ideas is irre- irrelevant it's more like okay i'm really into cooking and therefore in cooking i see a bunch of problems i want to solve in cooking Maybe it's better recipes or better tips, or maybe it's better delivery because I don't have time because I'm working, but those kind of threads of like find the thing you're passionate in. And then inside of that, find a bunch of problems. Usually it's easier to find 10 problems you want to solve in the area you like. Then when people pick like one idea and they're stuck on the idea yeah, and they're trying to justify the idea big enough, should I quit? Not yeah. quit, start it. And try and mash a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. But if you start with an area, look, I'm really into cooking. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to start. I'm really passionate about it. I'm going to find some other founders that are really passionate about the space too. Maybe cook, talk about it, but you find some problems you want to solve in there. That's usually the beginning. Yeah. And when you mentioned that you have tools to help you think through that, are they software tools or is it just a mental exercise that you have for yourself? They're mental exercises. So we use a lot like a customer journey is what's called. A lot okay. of the stuff's from design thinking. If I had gone to school again, I would go to design school. I'm a shitty designer. I'd be terrible. I would fail from a visual point of view. Absolutely. I just draw stick figures. But the framework they use is like really good as far as how to solve a problem. So what a customer journey does is called before, during, and after. And so like in our world, moments about photography. So we say, okay, what do people do before, during, and after taking a picture? And you can map different people. So my wife would do something different than I would do something different. But if you go big enough, what you find is that, oh, people travel somewhere, right? They pack their gear. They take a trip. They need to charge their gear. They take pictures. They then edit those pictures. Maybe they ship. Maybe they print those. You realize it's actually a pretty big journey. Same if you did for food, right? There's maybe a daily food process of getting my food at the grocery store, cooking my food, consuming my food. And what you find is, is there's usually a bunch of problems you go through in those steps. So I listed out those steps people do in photography. There's like 15 of them. Then you figure, okay, of the steps, where do I want to start? So we did that step. We figured, oh, capture is interesting. Okay, well, what are we seeing in capture? Oh, we're using our phones more instead of our cameras. Okay, that's interesting. In our cameras, what is it we love about our cameras? You start to figure out that, oh, in our cameras, there was things we were missing when we were shooting on our phone. And so you find some other friends that are also into shooting photos or videos. And then we found, you know, in that, we had made complicated cameras. We said, let's make something super simple and see if yeah. anybody cares. So we start with one product. It was a lens. It was easier for us because it's just glass and metal. And so it's simpler than make action camera. Super hard and expensive. Definitely. We didn't have any money for that. Yeah. And so we just did that. Basically made a lens, put it up on Kickstarter. And raised 500 grand. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is the thing. People want this. I did, would never have guessed that or have known right. that. And so what you do is like, that was actually one side project I started. We started a couple other ideas. And so we were kind of trying a few at the same time. And, and then one of them hit. And that's how moment And that was moment. Yeah. 
So you start a moment. How, how different were the first three months of moment compared to contour? Did yeah, you not, go into not it comparable being like, at all? Is the thing because you started the first one, college kid, don't know what you're doing. Fifteen years ago, this was pre all self help, self internet entrepreneur. There was nothing out there. There wasn't all this like self help stuff that's out there now, right? Of how to start. Yeah, how to start so a you company. Had nothing. So you you basically were just trying stuff and learning, and the world wasn't as connected. So starting today is a, is a whole different game. But I think the in the starting, yeah, I didn't know why I started that. I didn't have a purpose. So this time around. Much clearer on like, why am I doing this? Much clearer on, okay, I have a wife now. We're actually starting this together, honey. Like, what do you want in a company? What do you not like? And so we actually, before we did anything, I, her and I just made a list. What was important? What do we care about? What, what do we want in the company? Um, what does success look like? And so, yeah, once we were on the same page, then I could try to start something. That's awesome. That's really cool how collaborative that was. I mean, yeah, your spouse is starting a big you. part of your life. Completely. Like, yeah, you need the spouse. Co-founder or not? Yeah, yeah, spouse or anyone really close to you. You need them bought in because shit is hard, and there's gonna be days where it's like, or weeks where it's like, this phase is a ton of work. If they're not happy when you're doing a ton of work, you're in trouble. Yeah, always. Could you be happier traveling the world, not no one working? Awesome. Neither one of us are rich, so that ain't right. <laughs> but I mean, it, it in doing the work together, you have to have someone that's a super fan of yours, and vice versa, right? You have to be a super fan of theirs. But I think I found that. The hard way in the first one is like, okay, you're starting with that person. Yeah. They have to know they're the founder of it with you. Yep. And be on board. <laughs> yeah. Whether they're in the docs or not. Yeah. <laughs> they're so there. I think this is easier because that was set up. Definitely. Versus college kid, you're in it. Five years in, you got a bunch of people. You can't really quit because you hired all these people and you took money. So I think it's you have much more purpose the, first, the second time around. And then from your experience with the D minus investors, how how did more you like an F plus? Right. We'll D minus. <laughs> They're degrading. Yeah. They're listening. They probably yeah. don't like me anyway. But. Yeah, that's fine. That's all right. And now you can fire them. Yeah. Well, you did fire them. You didn't have them in your. No, I learned your, you can't fire your um, investors. Yeah. They can fire you though. They can. That's how it works. Yeah, they can. Unless you want to give the money back, and even then, it's they're coming really for that work. dollar. They gave you a dollar. They are coming for that dollar. Dollar six. Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> yes, true. How did you approach fundraising or thinking about fundraising for moment outside of Kickstarter? Did you think that you could maybe do everything off pre-orders and Kickstarters and kind of forego uh, traditional financing? Or did you go into it thinking, you know what? I know what happened last time. I kind of have a better idea of it. Yeah. Maybe I can maximize it. It makes it work better for me uh, with a different plan. I mean, even to start, we need a little bit of money. So basically, the guys around the table put in the initial money. So we, from day one, had had to because just in order to make the prototypes to get to Kickstarter, you needed like thirty grand. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we're already down change. that yeah. path, right? And so yeah, we set it up, set up the company so that there's all the employees own a piece. We set it up so we had to put in a little bit of money. So you're already down the path of raising money or not. And so I knew we need some money. We just take it in small chunks. But money raising is not like my favorite thing. So maybe not my strength. Maybe also is tied to 2008 and what I'd been through. Yeah. My, my f- passion is more like prove and execute. So I like to take at each stage, it's more about all right, what are you trying to, what am I trying to prove to myself at this stage? So in that first set of money, we raise a little bit of money to say, okay, we need to prove or validate we can get a customer. Like, how do we do this? Because we had launched Kickstarter. So we knew there were some customers. We didn't know if there were more customers. And so that first stage was like, how to get customers. Mm-hmm. And so we raised the money just around that. So I was looking for people that knew how to get customers Hence, seeing Gary, that type of path. So that, that was the big, that's at one stage. And then the next stage was like, okay, that kind of worked. We saw some revenue growth, companies growing. 
let's raise a little bit more money and let's just figure out how big this thing is. And so that was the second big tranche we raised. But still, we've raised less than five million bucks. Yeah. And kept it tight. Um, but yeah, I was looking for people that were good in those stages or like those stages. I also look for people that are passionate about photography. That's something we missed in the first company, right? If I would do an action camera again, I would have got my angel money from like the OGs of action sports, yeah. right? Because then they would be able to Athletes help. Athletes and just people yeah, the involved people in, the in that industry who know that industry who could open doors. In our space, a category like photography or filmmaking, people are passionate about it, but it doesn't really align with traditional venture investing, right? Because maybe one person in the room really takes photos and they have to translate it. We have the same problem in action cameras. In a room full of venture partners, four to eight people, one person skis and has yep. to explain how big skiing with a camera is. And the other one's like, wait, how big is the space? Right. So some businesses Who's are just going to record this. Yeah. Wow. Some businesses are easy to raise money for, right? Because all the investors on the table can use it or take it home or show someone their life. But usually the investors take stuff home and it's explained to somebody. And someone's like, oh, that's cool. I would totally. And then they realize it's a big like, deal. Like, oh, you would? <laughs> exactly. So I knew moment was very hard to raise money for until we proved that it had scale. Then it'll be easier to raise money for. But in the beginning, I knew it's like you're going to get a small amount of capital. Let's just focus on making sure we don't run out of that capital. Right. Because there is no more if we run out of that capital. So from day one, we focused on being profitable as fast as we could and being very efficient with the money. Which is unfortunately or fortunately uh, not a narrative that you hear a lot in today's climate around consumer product businesses, which is sure. mind-blowing. So that's definitely an advantage in my opinion based yes. on how Gary and I are Focus on investing going forward. Um, profitability is super important. And at the end of the day, no matter if you raise money or not, you're running a business. And the key takeaway from a business is to make more money than you spend, I think. Yeah, I think the analogy we, we use this time around is just more of a sports team. And so a lot of times, even though the team's young or junior or not that far, we try to train like it's going to be a pro team. And I think to train to be like it's a pro team, you have to learn some of your basics, like unit economics. How does this function? How do you get a customer? How do you get another one? And so I think just focusing on those fundamentals, I take a lot towards sports, you know, like you're going to start in the third division. Hopefully you make it to the first division. Yeah. But by the time you get to the first division, you better be an oiled machine. I think a lot of startups will just find success in something and then start hiring people and scaling it. And then they have no process by which they do anything. And it's very painful because at 50 or 100 people have to fix all that. And so from day one, we've been much more detailed around each of those steps. And so each year you try to get better at something, right? So in the beginning it was, okay, make good products. Let's learn how to make those products. Let's figure out how to get customers, right? And then from customers, it's like, okay, that those pieces are working customers, like more content, more commerce. Let's figure out how to get teams that work together. Yeah. More than one team. How do you communicate? How do we set goals? So a lot in the first four to five years is just the fundamentals of like how to get a customer and have a business. And then how do you get a group of people to speak the same language and have the same philosophy? And so we've, we've over-indexed on that early on. Yeah, different than most growth absolutely different yeah it's yeah it's it's wild what do you know making money getting there crazy yeah um how so the first kickstarter and i'm i'm trying to go back myself yeah and 2013 kickstarter. kickstarter one with a kickstarter lens two lenses two wide and telephoto right. lenses iphone 5 yep <laughs> oh yeah now iphone 11 right iPhone 5, that was the beginning. So put those up, those sold. And then I think a year later, we came back with the next Kickstarter. We did a back Kickstarter about every 12 to 18 months. They were the big marketing driver for yeah. us, right? So you'd have a new thing that would get you press coverage. Um, you worked was, out a pretty good formula for Kickstarter about what works, what didn't work. We're getting better. I think we've done three now. I've raised 1.5. No, we've raised more than that. Two? 
2.5. So from original Kickstarter, two lenses, every product, new product has been introduced through Kickstarter, like you mentioned, for the most part. The major ones. So we did the lenses. Then we realized that the phone's really a camera and the camera is like the body. So it's like, all right, the body needs a case. So we started making cases. And I find that when you make a new product, it takes the team like two or three versions till it gets really good. So to learn how to make lenses took us a couple of versions. The first version was good, but the interface could have been better. So the second time we had to make new lenses once iPhone 7 came out, iPhone 8. Yeah. And so we got to redo everything as far as the lens and the interface. So it's much better than it was the first time. But yeah, cases each year, the cases have gotten better. And so, yeah, over time we've done is taken that big customer journey and just figured out new categories to add. And so we... We try to do is build the company in, a, in stages. So stage one was direct to consumer, con- consumer brand, all around mobile photography. Step two, we're much more like an outfitter. You think of an outfitter like a Filson or an REI. At this point, we're basically a retailer selling photography, filmmaker gear, our stuff, third-party stuff. We have trips, so we have full-on services, and we have like expert guides from a customer service point of view. So like an outfitter, each you have is the supplies, the services, the expert knowledge. Yeah, one-stop shop. Yeah, so we're focused on as photographers and filmmakers. Not everyone's a photographer and filmmaker kind of trickles down to people that are just passionate about it. Right. But generally people come to MoMA because they're going to take a trip. But all that took us time to figure out. So in the first three or four years, I'm a big believer in trying to figure out, like, why do people buy? That took us a while to figure out people bought because they were going to take a trip. Uh, Then you try to figure out, okay, what else are they looking for? What problems do they have? And then you try to get a team to learn how to, like, do that over and over. Yeah. A lot of practice. Definitely. And one thing I I genuinely appreciate from your investor updates still to this day is you actually put a lot of that thinking in your investor updates about where the company's at, why you're about to pursue a specific path. And then in future updates, you come back and you say, well, it worked or it didn't work. And you're very honest about it. And I think that's, that's a great takeaway for anybody listening. That's trying to figure out what the hell to put in an investor update. That is a great start along with key metrics and also always ask for help. Whatever you need help with, even if no one ever offers the help, it's, it's, that, that's right. But you got to put it out that's, there. That's the investor saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, if the we, updates if we were big find... for me just to think about the business. So again, back to the practicing, mm-hmm. what I do is I'd write them every two weeks to start. Uh, and those help me every two weeks to stop, make me look at some numbers and think about like, okay, did revenue go up or down? Why did it go up or down? Did the product launch go well? Yes or no. And so it helped me a lot every two weeks forced me. So I was running on the weekends. Every, every other weekend took me like, the beginning takes half a day then four hours. Now I can get them down to two or three hours. Yeah, just bang them out. Yeah, but now they're like once a month, so stretch them out a bit. But they've been huge. They've done like 80 updates. And the other thread that's worked a lot is the small board, just three people on the board. But we do still do meetings every six weeks. That's and good. It, it helps us again. helps the team stop, think for a minute. They don't have to be as long now, a couple of hours, but it allows us because everyone's on the same cadence of, okay, what's happening that we can spend all the time pretty much in like strategic ideas. Like where should we go next? Because the investors are clued in right now. They're coming back nine months or three months later going, wait, where are we at? Where are yeah. the numbers? What happened? What happened to that one thing? Mm-hmm. So the every six weeks or so has been a huge difference. They're helpful. Definitely helpful. Maybe the right ones. But. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see. Um, what? And I, I, the, the word I was about to use isn't the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway. But what gave you the courage to launch Trips as a product company? Yeah, to just uh, test it out. I think the best startups, the beginning magic of like a couple of people, they have an insight in something. And then once you get a company and you start getting people, you forget how to do that. 
And so we treat travel when we travel like it's a new startup. So we had one person try try this as a beta, put some trips together, get some customer response. Those works. So let's build an MVP. And that MVP went well, learned a bunch. And it's like, all right, let's put that MVP we learned, you know, it's actually what we learned is like making the trip was actually hard. So in the MVP, we built a bunch of trips to go to the Southwest, these photography trips. And we realized we spent three months trying to figure out the trip, get the trip figured out. And then you put it for sale and realized, oh, people don't want to go to the Southwest. And so we actually realized, let's flip the whole thing around. So we can basically build itineraries with these expert pro guides, been somewhere already, put the trip up. And if it works, then we put the time in. But it's been unbelievable as far as um, just from a learning point of view. But it's, again, trying to teach the team how to take a new concept, new space, and learn how to do it. The only reason it works for us is it's the same customer. So that same customer journey of what people do before and after. We found people really into travel. They That's the reason that they go travel is to shoot pictures. And we have expert guides that are pro photographers who work with the brand anyways. And so, yeah, it's a new service business model for us. We think we can be great at it, but, you know, we're only about a year in. How many trips have you done to date? I think we've run about eight trips, 10 trips. Have you gone on any? I haven't personally gone yet, but the team goes. Yeah. Well, you have uh, to run the business, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but the new stuff is usually I spend my time trying to help them figure out how it works. If you just say like, I think of it as like an S curve. So that early years is the trying to figure out and take all the insights from the customers and like what's working, isn't working. And once it kind of hits, people call it product market fit. You want a group that's actually really good about making more of that. And so I'm good in that early bottom stuff. So I try to spend my time in the early bottom stuff. Once it kind of works and the team takes over. And that's been true for our content team, our commerce team. So in the beginning, like I was the commerce team. Right. I was putting a web WordPress site together, putting the products up. And so you learn a bunch, figure out what you need. And then I just fill in people behind me. Where's the next moment destination? And do you have any say around? The trips? Yeah. Learned a bunch by doing the trips in that we started to learn is, okay, Putting a new trip up sells more trips. So every time we put a new trip up, brings a bunch of traffic. So let's say you put a trip up to Thailand, people are interested, so they come and they see we have other trips. So we would sell other trips or our Japan trips would sell or our Nordic trips would sell. We kind of realized that every time we launch trip into a new market, it's like a geography business, which is different than we've had before. Mm-hmm. And for a market business, every time you go into that market, it's expensive the first time. You don't have anything set up. You don't ha- understand that market well enough for like, how are you gonna run the trip profitably? And so what we're, we're actually doing is shrinking from trips everywhere to basically trips in five markets. So we can really focus on the markets. So like Japan, Hong Kong, and the Nordics, I call it a region, but people are still really interested in that. The Iceland's, the Greenland's, the um, and, uh, the Faroe Islands. All very photographable. Incredibly photographical. And so there, now we can focus on those five places. You'll see us move from very expensive trips down to classes, one to three day, still experiential, but high on learning, less adventure. The trips are high on adventure, some learning. You'll see us move from that all the way down to these digital downloads. So you can get a portion of the class, you know, for 45 minutes in a sense that you can download. Yeah. And so travel, we're just broadening the offering. Similar like we broaden the offering for Moments Gear. We start with the lens, then the case, then the straps and the bags. And so we do the same thing in travel. Yeah. So first you show the customer what they should be using. Then you show them where they can use it and scratch their passion that way. And now you're going to show them how to use it even better. Yeah. The big, big thing they get here is the why. Like, why do they buy? Yeah. Why are they involved? So you spend a lot of time early days. You want to talk to as many customers as you can. So for the first four years, the whole comp, first five years, the whole company to customer service, everybody in the company, it was painful. 
it, I actually, I remember that from your investor updates that you made a Everybody. pretty smart correlation between actually having that practice where everyone touches the customer in some way. Having a customer swear at you is the fastest way to realize you got some shit to fix. Yep. What we always found is like, we just hire customer service, people quit and they burn out. And so we did is we've done it a variety of ways where it's like one day a week you were on it versus your other days or X number of emails per day you had to do. Yeah, it took several years for the team just to do it well. It worked, helped us a lot when like holiday spiked. Everyone in the company could answer emails. So yeah. everybody was in the inbox. It wasn't great from a service point of view because the hour response time would fluctuate. Now, five years in, we, we've put together a pro service team. Uh, what's really cool is that they're pretty much a bunch. There's only two internally full-time. The rest are external. And they're full-time creatives who need some stable income. And so they come to service at moment. Oh, wow. Which is awesome because they're pro photographers and filmmakers yeah. for real. And so they can help people not just answer their questions, but give them tips, look at their feed. They know where to go, what to shoot. That's really cool. And so the team still does. Everyone still does service now just one day for a month. But for that day, you feel would own half the inbox and you're just in that box. Yeah. So everyone still does service in a little different model. But yeah, I'm a huge believer. That everyone should be talking to customers, particularly the founder, because you just learn a ton. Absolutely. And so that's what I do now on like travel, trying to talk to every customer who's been on one, talk to all the people running the guides that are running them. We just learn a bunch. And you're not all hardware either. You have a software component of the business now as well. Yes, that's the investor in you doing the hardware software thing. I know. I think add that multiple up there. You know, the the consumer businesses look more like an Amazon, and you have lost these little S curves, and those add up to a bigger business. So we found is that each product line you start it has some momentum and eventually it slows. So lenses will be that way. The cases are that way where you get this initial, okay, it's new, interesting, has some momentum. And eventually over time, it slows a little bit depending on what's going on in the market. And so DNA wise, that's what we try to build. And we don't really care if it's a piece of hardware or an app or a service, you know, to learn to do each well, you have to build a DNA, it learns how to do it well. So for us to do cases well, it's taken us a while to learn how to do cases well, the plastics, et cetera. Same thing with apps. So we started with an app, again, one person, one engineer, Build a prototype, see if it works. We did a free app, got some traction. Customers liked it. It's like, okay, let's try a real app. So a team of four, build a paid app. Now the paid app's in the top 15 paid apps in the video store and the top 50 in the whole store. It's like, okay, now impressive. we've learned how to do an app and what it's like to do an app. It's amazing because it's a new channel most people aren't in. Um, the benefit to us is that we're not just an app business. And so what we're finding is the customer downloads the app, then comes to the store and buys other stuff. And so our big advantage is you can basically outspend every app company. Definitely. Because if you're just an app, it's like, okay, it's a $5 download. It means you can only spend $3 to get the customer or $1 or no dollars. And so we're able to use the app store to help us reach more customers. It's a way better experience than just running paid ads. And then for, for the listeners that aren't familiar with Moment or haven't downloaded the app or didn't yep. even know you had an app for whatever reason, yeah, what just is a the pro, app? It's just called Pro Camera, but it's an advanced camera for uh, people that want the most out of their phones. We got one on iPhone and I, iOS and Android. We should look up Moment Pro Camera. Really for like the DSLR experience, but on the phone. So filmmakers and photographers love it. As they should, because you're just unlocking the power. Yeah, <laughs> of course. It's been interesting. But yeah, to say like, okay, now you're you're in the app store, app business. And it's taken the team a while to learn that. So I think you have to have be patient. Be like, all right, let's try a new category. A team of one or two and teach the team how to do that. But in the first couple of versions, particularly the first year or two years of that, it's painful. Definitely, It's like starting the company over where you do a lot of shitty stuff that's not quite yet at the level. 
customers tell you it's not quite at the level. And so, yeah, getting a team that learns how to do that, we think is viable. We'll see. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be valuable. <laughs> Top 50 in the app store is pretty good from what That's I hear. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what, what's the next category coming up that you can share? Yeah, I can't share. Um, when's this go out? This is probably going to go out in two weeks. Not this Tuesday. Okay, so but the moment now Tuesday. does bags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bags, bags is the number one request thing we've had from customers. It's part of that journey. So if you look at when people are out in the city or out taking a trip, they're taking their gear with them. We've always found the bags were either high function and look terrible or look really good and didn't have the function. And so what's nice is that the team is all creatives or all photographers, filmmakers themselves. So a lot of the problems we can solve are our own. So yeah. The products get good. So we started working on bags like a year ago, small wristlets, small parts, straps. And so bags are really complicated. And so over time you go from very simple I've just gotten more advanced. So the bags are starting, you'll see us come out with now are these fanny sling packs. So it's around the wrist, around the body, and then crossbody wallets. That's the beginning of bags for us. It allows us to learn a ton, make them better and better. But yeah, now we're getting to a new category. And I've seen the bags. They're really nice. Really good colors. Yeah, black. I'm the I'm a burnt orange guy. You're a burnt orange guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, through and through. I like it. I like <laughs> That weird. is one of the challenges is the number of colors and skews. So that's Definitely. when you make the physical stuff, how many to make, what color. We also sell pretty much 100% to the consumer, which makes it harder mm-hmm. because you know, you only, for phone cases, they want to make hundreds of thousands. We're making tens of thousands. So all of that's more difficult because you just end up having more skews. Definitely. So part of the team's actually getting good at right now is just how to manage inventory. But it's like a muscle. Yep. It's like every year we the team learns how to develop another muscle. So last year it was like gross margins. You didn't know how to do gross margins. People didn't even know what they were. Right. As a business person, like gross margins. Oh, I know gross. But yeah, it's like a non. Back of my hand. Yeah. But if you're like, you work in a company, no one ever tells you what the hell gross margins right. are. Like, why, so why do I care about we that? We worked on gross margins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, the, what are they? How to read them? How to make them better? So it was like one of our top three company goals was make our gross margins better. It made them awesome. <laughs> But now the team knows what gross margins is. But I find Ooh. a team like every year can learn like one new major muscle like that. So one of them right now are developing just inventory. It's really cool how collaborative you are with the entire team. Um, that's something that I admired from afar. Uh, I think you're really good at it. I found there's just it. not enough time to bullshit of the different groups. So yeah, we do one business update. Everyone gets the same update. The whole company gets it. The board members get it. Investors, it's the same doc. Same email goes out. Everyone knows how much cash is in the bank. I just found it's just easier. Yeah. It gets way more complicated when you have to tell your board one thing and your team something else and you can't tell your leadership some stuff and your investors get a different thing. Like, fuck it. We'll just make it simple. Yeah. Transparent. And just put it out there and it just made my life easier. Definitely. One question I have, do you have any tips or insight into your system for hiring? either a high level position or how long is this podcast? <laughs> it could be as long as you want. Yeah. What I've done actually is interesting is in the, after the first company started writing, got a lot of those lessons out. Um, blog got a ton of views cause it's just a lot of raw content. I stopped writing for two, three years just to learn a bunch of new things. And so I started again, but one of those I put up was just on our hiring philosophy. We didn't use this in the first company, kind of stumbled into the second company. Usually when you start the company, you need a bunch of contractors to just like, do some extra work and you know, call it a group of bandits, but you try to get people to help. And I think in having lots of little contractors figured out like, Oh, to do a contract, well, you have to scope a project, you test them, you figure out 
And so we kind of realized like, wow, that would work for hiring. So we do the whole hiring methodology is a project to hire model where we literally uh, put a job up, filter the candidates and then have a real project. And that project, the people get paid for it. Usually takes them 10 to 15 hours. They, they quote it. They put the time on it. As part of their project, they do it nights, weekends. We put them into Slack like they're part of the team. Cool. So at any given time, if it rolls up, maybe three people make it to the project stage. So maybe there's three going at the same time. They're all doing the same project. They're in different kind of channels of Slack. It allows the team to see three candidates. It also allows the candidates to figure out, do I like this company? Yeah. Do I, am I a fit? And so I try to set it up so that people exit the project knowing yes or no, I love the company, I'm a fit. And the team knowing yes or no. And we found is the turnover is very, very low and the accuracy of hire is way higher because you actually get to work together. We found you can interview people for days, but until they bring a laptop and get to work, you just have no idea if they're a fit. Blind, blind. It might be great, but for like in the team and how we work and how we communicate, that's also what you're looking for. And so everything is a project to hire and it works phenomenally well. It, it's been most amazing as it made the team think about scale much earlier. So if you're gonna add 10 more people tomorrow, well, okay, wait a second, to add 10, it means I have to document my work, has to be an onboarding process, has to be a deboarding process. So the process has actually made the team much stronger. So we've taken a younger team and let them see way more talent and everything to do is better documented so they could add more people tomorrow. That's probably been the biggest benefit, unforeseen benefit. That's great. Two more questions before I let you go. All right. First one, where can people find you? Where do you want people to find you? Do you want to plug your personal Instagram, moments Instagram? <laughs> Something anti-Gary, I can't I stay <laughs> off the grid. I have three little kids, between three little kids and moment. Yeah. But yeah, if you just look up Mark Barrows, on Instagram. that's the name of my site where I've been writing. Usually put up a post every Sunday. Great. Uh, and then Mark Barrows and all the social handles. Amazing. And I got to ask, what, what's your life motto or, or mantra that's, that's gotten you through either thick and thin or what have you? What do you live by? Is this what I would say or my team would say? Or what's <laughs> what <the> you <laughs> would say. Well, you're guiding light. Yeah. For me, life is short. And what does that mean to you? I think when you see some, you lose somebody, you realize like how short it is. So like my mom passed and you look around the table, and you look around like who's around the table and why they're on the table. You, you go, oh shit. So I think even then I changed some things in my life and the people that were in it, uh, even the relationship I had, it was like, okay, you know, much clearer. I'm interested in it, not interested in this. And it allows you to focus more on life's very short. And once you get kids, you realize life's even shorter. Right. The first kid's like, oh my gosh, I have no free time. Second team, we're like, I have absolutely no right. time. So you do everything faster. You eat faster, talk faster. Yeah. My wife gives me a hard time because it's unfortunately like I'm over-indexed on efficiency. Let's go, hurry up. She right. Gives me a hard time. Hurry up is my favorite word. <laughs> but to me, that's what it means. Like life's short and just go after something. You don't have a lot of time. So do the best you can. Hell yeah. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for joining the Tartar Project. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Give me the number one podcast soon. It will be. That was a great conversation with Mark. Mark, thank you for making the time while you were in New York to pop by the office and doing your, your press tour. I really appreciate it. That was fun. It always is. We covered a lot. I really want to call out Mark's approach to thematically thinking about what you're going to do next or how you're going to enter a new product category with your brand or your business or even just your life if you want to approach something. I think the idea of taking a thematic 
angle is really helpful and can reduce the amount of oh shit moments you have maybe down the road if, if things don't pan out exactly perfectly like you initially thought before jumping all in on an idea or a product or a service or something or what have you. I do feel the flexibility of approaching it from a theme level is super helpful and might actually lead to a couple breakthroughs that you may not have encountered if you were just dead set on one very specific problem. I definitely want to call out how important transparency is across your team, your investors, and anyone you can just give a greater insight into with the company and the goings on at your company. I definitely think that's helpful, especially to get buy-in amongst employees and investors. People feel like they're more part of the journey and that's never a bad thing, I don't think, in my opinion. I'm sure there's specific cases, but sharing what you can within reason, obviously not everything needs to be conveyed if, if there are some real issues going on, uh, but whatever you can, just to keep people not in the dark is super helpful. So I, I definitely appreciate that. And I'm glad that Mark talked about that. Thank you again for tuning in and for listening. Again, I just, just I really appreciate it. It means so much when I see you tagging me and, and posting on Instagram and your stories and sharing the Tartar Project with your friends. It truly means a lot to me. And the feedback is very helpful for me as I try and get better at this. Um, I'm having a lot of fun. So five stars on iTunes, please tell your friends, share it out there. Follow me on Spotify, smoke signals, whatever works, whatever you can do to help me grow and reach more listeners. I genuinely appreciate. And even if you just keep listening, thank you so much.